Welcome back, everyone, to the Chaos Ball Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It is June. It's June 4th. It's Sunday, June 4th. The Mariners just got swept, and I'm here recording. You know, it's finally June. Feels like the first couple of months have flown by. But you know what June is? June's Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, everyone, especially to all of my Catholic listeners out there. Um, no, I'm kidding. I doubt I have any Catholic listeners, but I will, you know, there's been a lot of stupid stuff on the internet recently the past couple weeks. I'm not going to talk much about the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgement and all the shitty discourse around the Dodgers Pride Night. I'll touch on it briefly, though, if you'd indulge me. (laughs) It's just, it's just the classic thing that like Catholics and Christians in general love to do. And I'm not just blindly hating them, but this, it just rubs me the wrong way. They use their religion as a basis for bigotry and then complain about politicizing sports as an excuse. It's a classic trope. We've seen it happen a lot. Yeah. MLB sports in general, they have nothing political about them besides celebrating pride month, right? National anthem, you know, huge American flags, flyovers, military-themed jerseys and hats for all those holidays and stuff. Those aren't political. Not at all. No. We should keep... Those are not political, so we should keep them in sports, actually. It's only when you try to recognize, like, a marginalized minority in your sport and society as a whole, when it's... Then then it's a political issue, and you simply won't have it in your favorite sport. Y'all can have, like, Catholic Pride Night if you want. Like, I don't care. Have Have a Catholic night. Like, why can't they have Pride Night? Let people who want to celebrate how they want to live, let them celebrate how they want to celebrate. It's pretty simple. What about like Muslim pride night, Jewish pride night? Would, would you, would, would you Catholics, would you like, would you get really offended if we had a Muslim or Jewish pride night? Like if you, if we want to include everyone, we should do that too. All I want is y'all to recognize there are probably lots of LGBTQ people working in baseball and there are probably players in the closet right now who fear coming out just because they'll be looked down upon by teammates or fans who hold this like hatred and ideology we've seen expressed on social media the past week or two. I really doubt I have Catholic listeners, but if you somehow fall into that category and are listening to me right now, I doubt you'll listen further. You probably took major offense to what I just said because y'all, you know, any anytime anyone criticizes you, you get really upset. You can leave if you're just going to be a bigot. I, I do not tolerate bigotry on the Chaos Ball podcast. That's my official stance. So happy Pride Month to anyone who is listening who may be a member of the LGBTQ plus community. I'm proud to be an ally to those people. It's also, I'm done I'm done with the spiel, but it's also just really interesting that most of the opposition to this decision by the Dodgers, on Twitter at least, and when I say like the internet, 99% of the time I'm talking about Twitter, but most of the opposition has come from people with blue checks. Really interesting. Really interesting. Just great, great work, Elon. Great website. All right, now I'm done with that. I'm not talking anymore about that. That is the spiel. It's just tiresome at this point to have to continue to to do that and say that to people online but that's how it be so now we can actually get into the podcast and yes it's june it's pride month officially we can start speculating about trades trade deadline within the next two months plenty of players will be traded it's finally start time to start speculating 
I feel comfortable that we can harshly judge players by statistics now. No, I'm just kidding. I feel like June is June is the marker of like if your team's doing poorly, you're allowed to panic a little bit. If there's a player doing really poorly, I think you're allowed to panic. I think now is the time when you can start really taking stats to the bank and start really delving into like, well, it's been, you know, we've had a full month of April, full month of May. That's two full months of baseball. It's about a third of the season, and now we can we can look at these stats, and they they somewhat mean something. There's still a long way to go, but um, the Mariners are not doing amazing, so it's time to panic. It's time to burn it all down. No, I'm just kidding. I will. Uh, there's a lot of Mariners talk on this episode. It was a tough week. It was a tough, tough week. But I will start with, of course, the baseball reference player of the week it's actually two players this week because i it was a very long baseball reference part of the week segment last week uh, in honor of gil hodges on the memorial day episode there was a lot to gil hodges and that one went on for a little while and so i'm just gonna i'm gonna give us a little a little reprieve this is a real short baseball reference part of the week and these two players who are they real? Maybe, but they're on baseball reference. And it just came up in my, I sometimes in the dead of night, I just look up fun words to see if there's players who've been named that. And two players today I've found with very interesting names who both have, it looks like one game under their belt in baseball reference. And those players are pool and glass. So yeah, if you go to Baseball Reference and type in Pool, there's a technically a player, second baseman apparently, with the name Pool, P-O-O-L, and then there's also a player named Glass, who is a right fielder apparently. Um, it so both of these players, as I said, they have one game under their belt. There's not much info on them. They both coincidentally played uh, in the Negro Leagues. So Poole, Poole came up and uh, allegedly played one game in 1937, uh, had three plate appearances, didn't get a hit in any of them, has an OPS plus in their career of negative 100, played on the, let's see, played on the New York Black Yankees, and that's all I know about Poole. So Poole, shout out to Poole. Glass, however, Glass came up in 1942. And Glass played one game with one plate appearance and one hit and one run, which means Pools, or no, wrong, ugh, wrong player. How could I disrespect Glass like that? Glass's career stat line is 1,000, 1,000, 1,000 with an OPS plus of 486. Maybe the greatest player we've ever seen. Maybe the greatest Negro Leagues player of all time. The greatest baseball player of all time. You never know. But no, that's it. Very, I told you, very short one this week. Played on the, played on uh, glass. Played on what team? The Newark Eagles in 1942. And that, that's it. This is the baseball reference player of the week. A dual baseball reference player of the week. Pool and Glass. Shout out to them. I wonder what players those actually were. Why they're in Baseball Reference? I would love to know. I, I think it has something to do with Negro Leagues and like the documentation around like Negro Leagues players because just by looking like if I look at this New York Newark Eagles roster there's a lot of players with statistics in here but then you get glass 
you get a player named Gordon, who is a similar, has two at-bats, and is just named Gordon. There's a guy named Johnny Holmes, who has, like, barely any stats, but at least that's a... At least that's a name that you like Johnny like I don't believe anyone is named Glass, but I guess I could be I could be wrong. Cause when when you look at there's a couple on the on the nineteen thirty seven black uh New York Black Yankees as well. There's Poole. There's one named Jones, just Jones. There's one named Johnny Albertson, which has some more stats but still barely any. And Enoch as well, there's a player named Enoch who has one career at bat. I'm just wondering, like, what are these players? Like, were they real? Because it's also funny if you go, like, if you go to a team's page on Baseball Reference, like, go to the 1937 New York Black Yankees page. They finished fourth in the Negro National League, too. And you go down to their, like, team batting, and you'll you'll see Pool and Enoch, but they have question marks next to their name, so it's like, Pool? Enoch? Like, Baseball Reference doesn't even know. So, yeah, that's the Baseball Reference part of the week. Pretty simple one this week. Shout out Pool, Enoch, Jones, Glass, all the all these players. I'm sure there are more like this. I, I might have to do some digging to find out if this is a, a Negro League thing or if I can find these teams in um, a more reliable negro league history books rather than baseball reference i know baseball reference does pretty good but there's more places to look for this stuff so maybe i'll do some digging but that that's it that's the baseball reference player of the week this week a dual one with a special shout out to all the other random fun named players who have a question mark next to their name in baseball reference because they have two at bats but yeah that's it so now what did the Mariners do this week? It was oh god, it was just a terrible week. After the vibes were so good going into Memorial Day, like we were riding high. It was six six and one that week. You know, mopped the Athletics, which I'm happy they did. But does that really mean that much? Not really. Took two or three from the Pirates. Like that's cool, but they've really cooled off since their hot start. Then you get shelled. Two games in a row to the Yankees, and then you win the third game against the Yankees, one to zero. It's is it time to panic? Because then they went to the Texas Rangers, and oh boy, oh boy, did they get absolutely pummeled in Texas? Oh God, I'll get to that in a second. I guess I'll wrap up the Yankees series. There's not even that much to talk about in the Yankees series. It was like the pitchers that normally pitch well didn't pitch well. And the hitting wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. But it was more like Aaron Judge was really hitting well, which is fine. Aaron Judge really hurt the Mariners, and that's not surprising because he's so good. It's crazy how good Aaron Judge is. But it was like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Jake Bowers, who's having a surprisingly good year, former Mariner, which is hilarious that he's having a good year, not in the Mariners uniform. And like Willie Calhoun... Those guys, those guys were were hitting the ball so hard that series. So strange. Like, I don't even. I I think I tweeted it. There's there wasn't even that much for me to really take away from that series. Like it was it was Bryce Miller's first bad start of his career. He went four and two thirds in that first game. Gave up eight runs on three Ks, 
And some of it, I mean, you know, some of it was just, I think there's there's more scouting. Like I talked about, there's more scouting out there of his stuff as he continues to throw major league innings. And they were on the fastball and, and, and hit it. And he looked like a normal rookie pitcher in that moment. More so than he's ever looked in his career so far. His very short, short career right now. Honestly, nothing to be worried about. It's going to happen. Pitchers will get shelled from time to time unless you're... I don't know, Jacob DeGrom, unless you're one of the greatest pitchers of all time, like Clayton Kershaw doesn't really get shelled that much, if ever, nor does DeGrom. Those are two of the greats. Like, it's it's okay. And that's going to happen to young pitchers. But it's just, it's just, it was weird the nature of how it happened. I'll, I'll accept Judge going yard twice and robbing a home run. Sure, why not? He's, he's generational. But Willie Calhoun was contributing really well. Jake Bowers had a game, like, Kyle Higashioka hit really well in that game. IKF, and then you go to the next game on Tuesday, and and Logan gets shelled, which is not like him, but he was really, they were really on his fastball as well. And it was more of the same. I mean, Judge hit another home run, but that was his only hit of the game. Like, Willie Calhoun went two for five. IKF went four for five. Volpe had a home run. Like, Greg Allen hit a home run. Like, what? Greg Allen has, like, nine career home runs. That was just the type of series it felt like. It was really nice to get the win on Wednesday against the Yankees. Felt like they kind of needed it, especially if we could have foreseen how things were going to go against the Rangers. They kind of needed to not lose six in a row, get swept twice. At least they won this one. And it was a game where I fully expected them to lose. It was the George Kirby gem. Eight innings, three hits, seven Ks, no walks, no runs. Just an absolute gem from... Maybe our best pitcher, George Kirby. And it was 0-0, and it went to extras at 0-0. And it felt like one of those games where George Kirby spins another gem, It's and the offense does shit all. But luckily, the Yankees' offense was blanked. Paul Sewell came in, and Justin Topa came in, and it was stressful. It was stressful, those extra innings. But they somehow un- came out of the, the top of the 10th unscathed, set the table for Cal Raleigh, our clutchest player, and he dumped a single into right and won the game. It, it was good. It was a good little reprieve because if they got shelled the first two games of the series and if they wasted that George Kirby start, like he didn't get the win, but, you know, win-loss for pitchers, I think at this point no one takes it seriously, which I'm very glad about. If they lost that game, ugh. Oh, it was, oh, it would have been bad. Oh, that would have been a classic Mariners loss. But glad they won. Because then they go into the Rangers series with slight optimism, and clearly that didn't matter. But they go into the Rangers series, and it's like, you know, I would have taken one game from these Rangers. I would have taken one game. Because they're playing really well. And I, I resign myself to probably they weren't going to win today, which is Sunday, because Eovaldi was on the bump, and I, you know, I just didn't really foresee that happening, and it didn't, obviously, we got destroyed, but, and also Marco was pitching one of these games, and I just didn't think Marco pitching in Texas was going to especially go well, turns out Marco is now hurt, and it was Brian Wu, who I will talk about once I get more into this, but go, just going into the series, I just wanted, I wanted a win. I wanted one win and they didn't get it. They got swept. And the first game of the series on Lou Gehrig day, by the way, shout out to 
Lou Gehrig and everything that MLB has done this year for that, which is cool. And also a special shout out to Sarah Langs and uh, starsforsarahlangs.org if you're interested. Go check that out. But Friday, Luis Castillo was on the bump, and he had a great start. Seven innings, one run, one walk, six Ks. And the Mariners lose 2-0. to zero. They get blanked by John Gray again. John Gray destroyed them at home a few weeks ago, and he destroyed him again in Texas. And the offense just looked limp. I think I tweeted, that was just a limp loss. It was just a game where I felt like nothing happened. It was fun to watch Luis Castillo pitch, but it just... For after the first few innings, it just felt like they weren't going to win, and they didn't. They got three hits the whole game. Just deflating. This team has a way of taking and sapping the life from me. It's really, really frustrating. It's just watching this offense fiddle with their with their bats up there and not even come close to putting in good at bats. It's just really frustrating at this point in the season to watch. I don't know what needs to change. I don't I, like the Rangers are, are just a cut above right now, but it was just tough to watch that first game. That was the game you win because the next two games, y'all know what happened. They got destroyed. That was the game you have to win with your ace on the mound in Luis Castillo. And he didn't even have a bad game. Sometimes, you know, he has a bad game, but that was a good game and he wasted it. But after that game, still slight optimism, I guess, right? I almost beat the Rangers let's hang the banner but no we thought Marco was starting on Saturday got the word that he is going to the 15-day IL with strained left forearm which is far from ideal I really hope it's I doubt it's like a precautionary move to put him on the 15-day IL but I hope it really is just strained left forearm and not Tommy John surgery kind of like Robbie Ray, I mean, he went to the IL, 15-day IL, and then it came out later, needed surgery for that flexor strain. I hope Marco can stay off of the 60-day and continue to pitch this year because he hasn't been terrible for a fifth starter. I really think people's ideas of fifth starters are so warped for whatever reason. Like, he, he's a fine fifth starter. Again, at the end of the day, if the offense was better... I think people wouldn't hate on him as much because I would say at least half the time he does give the team an opportunity to win. I mean, he's not going to go out there and be a Luis Castillo or George Kirby, whatever. It's a fifth starter, and what you can really ask for is going, you know, four to six innings and giving up, like, four or less runs. Like, that is kind of four, four to five less runs. Your offense should be able to put up five-plus runs sometimes. And they simply do not. So I, I honestly think it makes him look worse. But we got the word that he's hurt, and they they flew Brian Wu to Texas. Brian Wu makes his debut. Makes his debut against Texas. And just a brutal, brutal team. Honestly, the worst team to have to make your debut against this year. Maybe the Rays. It's been the Rays and the Rangers. But the Rangers have been the best offense this season. And you can see why. I mean, it's it's actually insane to watch. It's really fun to watch. If I was a Rangers fan, it'd be awesome. Just killing teams. Absolutely murdering teams. It's not even fair. Like, it just looks easy for this entire offense. And Brian Wu gets out there. Two innings, seven hits, six earned, one walk, four strikeouts. I mean... <laughs> It, there, what what did we really expect again? Like for a rookie making his debut, 
against the best offense in baseball in their home ballpark. Like I think at this point, you take the good stuff that you saw, those four strikeouts. I just wa- I wanted to see too as well. I like to look at the stat cast about his pitches because you know his mix just from the minors and his velocity, but it's you know the stats and stuff are not reliable at, in the minors, and then you get all the sta- all the stat cast data once they throw anything in the major league. So you take what you can from that. You take the four strikeouts and two innings, and you leave behind all the runs and the hits. I mean, those are meaningless in the grand scheme of things for Brian Wu's career. And it, it, it's also it's not it wasn't like a failed start, you know. I, I don't think anyone expected him to go in there and blank the Rangers. And it's not like the rest of the pitching staff did great either. Matt Festa had a great inning, and then Tyler Sacedo gave up four runs and in two innings. Chris Flexen gave up five runs and in two innings. Then uh, Mike Ford came in, into the game, gave up a home run, but apparently pitched in college, which is pretty funny. So the debut of Brian Wu didn't go amazing, but again, it's like it was a desperation thing. Maybe they could have just threw Flexen in that spot, but at this point... I don't think it harms Brian Wu's development to get shelled by the Rangers in his first start, especially since this wasn't the ideal scenario of coming up and making your first start. Like, I'm pretty sure the manager probably told him, like, no, it's okay. Forget about the start. We'll work on stuff. You'll get better. You won't face the Rangers in Texas every time you pitch. The low expectations probably did him good. I mean, he's probably frustrated, but you saw why he he has, he has good stuff. Uh, you've seen it. We've seen it in double-A. Like, the fastball is his bread-and-butter pitch, and we've seen kind of why it plays with that arm angle. But his secondary stuff has come along. Like, the slider and the changeup looked fine. He was just kind of leaving them up in the zone. Like, the locations weren't amazing. And I think he'll have to rely on fastball location because he can he sits mid-90s but can ramp that thing up to the high-90s. And that is what will put him ahead in counts. And then I think his slider and his changeup both grayed out pretty equally as an out pitch maybe he'll have to find one that works better than the other but I'm pretty confident in the in the pitching and the development here I just it was a debut but I don't know I think his next start really will be his debut I mean he could they could have sent him out there for more than two innings too and they probably were just like no saw what we need to saw he got two innings I guess I don't know I I still probably think you could have done some patchwork bullpen day type deal instead of just throw woo into the fire but I think it's also a vote of confidence. Like they believe in what he's done the past couple of years since coming back from Tommy John and they believe in what they've developed and uh, their major league veteran pitchers also got shelled by the Rangers. So it's not like he was the only one who got hit really hard that series. So that was his debut. Uh, You know, we'll take it into next week and then really hopeful, hopeful that Marco is not hurt long-term just for himself. I mean, he was pitching fine this year, but it's just the depth. Like, you need pitching depth if you want to go anywhere in baseball. Every team needs pitching depth, and every team needs more pitching depth. You can always think you have plenty of pitching depth until you don't, and then you don't. And I feel like we're like we had plenty of pitching depth until Robbie Ray's out for the year, Marco's on the IL now, and now you have... Two rookie pitchers on the staff who, listen, they might be pretty good, but it's it gets thin after that. It's It sneaks up on you. Pitching depth in this day and age is so important. And I just really hope 
for the team's sake and for Marco's sake, he's not out for more than a few weeks. I hope it really just is a strain and it's just precautionary to give him a few weeks off and get back instead of a surgery that ends the, the season for him. So hoping, hoping, hoping that is okay. But this Rangers team, this Rangers team is really good. Clearly an absolute tier or two above the Mariners at the moment in time. They're rolling. They're first in the AL West. They're 38 and 20. They're absolutely on fire right now. And they look it. Their offense is destroying teams. They don't have the stat in front of me, but they have so many wins by 10 plus runs this year. Like they're, it's, just June. It's the start of June, and their run differential is 152. The most in the league by a good margin. The Rays have 122. And then after that, the closest is the Dodgers with 58 and the Braves with 60. Otherwise, they those two teams have been the class of the league. The, the Rays are 42 and 19. The Rangers are 38 and 20. But the Rays... I think the Rays' bullpen is where they it sets them apart from the Rangers, but the Rangers' offense has been the best in the league this year, and it's it's pretty crazy to watch. It's it's pretty wild to watch. I I'm not super concerned about the pitching staff. Like after the Yankees in this series against the Rangers, I'll say it's not long term concerning. I just I think when the staff has a bad week. They've been so good, it's just way more surprising and apparent than when they continue being good. And like when the offense is continually bad, it's less surprising and under less scrutiny because it's just like, oh, well, that's business as usual. So there's more scrutiny when the pitching staff isn't good because they've that goes against the norm the past few years of what we've seen. And long term, not worried. And like Judge destroying us in Seattle, not worried. I am worried about how good the Rangers are and how the Astros are definitely still better than the Mariners. The Angels are at least at the Mariners level. And the Mariners, they're nine and a half back of of the Rangers right now. And it, by the end of this month, they could be 15 back if it keeps going like this. Like it's Everything has come together for the Rangers team. And like I said, clearly a cut above of the Mariners. And that was just an absolute shellacking we just took in Texas. And this Rangers team, why are they good? Why are they so good? There's The payroll Twitter was brought up again this, this weekend, and I don't really care for it. Uh, and there's just people split on both sides, and really it's it's fairly simple. It's It's multiple things can work at the same time. And sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you identify talent really well, whatever. Texas, the past few years, similar-ish spot to the Mariners, just in terms of their, like the Mariners clearly were the better team than the Rangers the past couple of years, but similar in the kind of MLB-ready talent. Like, they had a lot more hitter MLB-ready talent, and the Mariners had some hitter and a lot, some, some great pitching talent. But totality of major league-ready talent that was ready to to come up in 2021, 2022, this year, next year, even the Rangers still have some some guys in AA and AAA that, you know, they could make their debuts this year with injuries and stuff. They still have prospects to make their debut, but both teams were coming up with a young core, and the Mariners were succeeding. And Texas, 
they heavily, uh, well, I'll say they, the Mariners and the, and the Rangers were in the same spot, but again, similar-ish where this was about the time when you start spending, and both teams did. The Mariners spent to get Robbie Ray. They've ex- traded and extended Luis Castillo. They extended Julio. And they've made trades like Jerry Depoto likes to do. He prefers trades than for agents. And some of those trades have not worked out. But Texas heavily invested in free agents the past few years. They anchored the middle infield. And both those signings have worked really well, Seager and Semyon. And then this offseason, they rebuilt their whole pitching staff through free agents. And that's largely worked out really well as well. As well, it's rare that it works out this well. Like I think you can, you can point, and I've done this on Twitter, but it's because it's harder to elaborate on Twitter rather than in, in this podcast form where you can point to just like, hey, look, they spent a lot of money on free agents. That's why they're good. It's part of why they're good, which says something, because uh, not all big free agents work out. But it helps when they do. But and it's it's rare that they've all worked out this well. Seeger and Semyon were great signings at the time, and they've worked out that way. They've been very good. But sometimes, and I'm not saying Trey Turner is a disappointment, but he's having such a down year after accepting the huge contract he got this offseason. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Some you know, maybe Trey Turner picks it up in the latter half of this year or next year, but not all big free agent signings work. But when you take a swing and it does work, this is how it can go. So Seager and Semyon, great signings at the time, and they've worked out really well. And and Eovaldi, John Gray, DeGrom even looked great and is hurt, but that's not surprising. Eovaldi's been a Cy Young level pitcher. Those and Andrew Heaney's been fine. They have worked out largely this this year their revamp of their pitching staff through free agency. But then you get into why they've been this good. It's partly that those big name, big money free agents have been performing similar or, you know, above average like you expect. And basically every position player on their team has taken a step forward this year. And it's crazy. Like, I don't think I've ever seen an offense turn it on at this level and have all of their younger players taking pretty big steps forward. So you can't just point to the free agency signings and say, well, if the Mariners invested like this, they would be this good. Maybe they would probably be better unless they completely flopped on those free agent signings. I do think the Mariners, again, would be a better team with more aggressive investment in free agency the past couple of years. And I've said that a lot but the Rangers have been the best offensive baseball this year, partly through that, but also clearly with great development and coaching of their young hitters. Like it's it's wild to go down the line in their lineup and look at their comparisons from the last couple of years and just see all of the young players taking a significant significant step forward on offense. Like Nathaniel Lowe looked good last year, looks good again this year. Adolis Garcia looked great this year. Completely cut down on the strikeouts from the last couple of years. Barreling the ball really well. Looks amazing. Josh Young, one of the favorites to win Rookie of the Year going into this year. He's performed very well up to his prospect pedigree. Jonah Heim, taking a significant step this year and has honestly probably been the second best catcher in the American League behind Adley Rutschman. Uh, who else has taken a step forward? I don't know. Like Mitch Garver is hitting really well for some reason. Kyle Seeger and Corey 
Oh, whoa, whoa. I just said Kyle Seeger. It's because it's in it's because I tweeted about him this weekend. Corey Seeger and Marcus Semyon, like I said, have been great. Uh, they've gotten fantastic performances from Laody Tavares in center field. I would say their biggest hole on the team is probably left field, although Ezekiel Duran has been playing out there, another very promising rookie like like Josh Young. And he's been great at the plate, too. And he's been filling in at left field or right field. Their corner spots are probably their weakness, but they're not that big of a weakness, I guess, because they Robbie Grossman's been okay in DH and left field. Travis Jankowski's been fine, too. And they they don't need that much production from those two guys when every other player is taking a step. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. I don't know if I've ever seen a team and all of its young players come together like this and all significantly take a step forward at the same time. It's pretty crazy. I don't know if that's lightning in a bottle, if it's luck, if it's really good development, really good coaching, maybe just a little bit of both. It's probably just good development too, I would say. like Maybe testament to Bruce Bochy and he's just getting him and his staff are just getting the most out of each and every one of these guys. It could just be that. I. It's crazy to, to see. I mean... Big free agent signings don't always work out. Those they have for them largely past few years. And I just, but sometimes I just wish the Mariners would go for it rather than sit on their hands and sign AJ Pollock and nobody else. Like at least sign a big name guy. And if he gives you AJ Pollock production or Colton Wong production, then so be it. At least they tried something. Sure, it gives them more financial freedom to sign AJ Pollock to a one-year deal. Generally, I don't really care about that. I don't think a one. I don't think another thirty million dollar contract on the books really breaks the bank for this team, given the amount of profit they're going to bring in this year compared to the payroll expenses. The Mariners do, however, have a rich history of signing or trading for good players and instantly turning them into. Uh, below average contributors. That's just Mariners heritage. It's really, and I, I, I try not to just say like, well, if the Mariners spent, they'd be better. I think there is a decent correlation of spending and being better, but you can't just spend. I mean, look at the Padres. They're they've been pretty disappointing this year, and they might turn it around. And the, and then look at the Mets. They've been a little disappointing too. Where who's saved the Mets so far this year? Their offense has been the young guys. It's been their prospects. It's where I think the Mariners were in a better situation than the Mets or the Potters in terms of their young core. Where if they just put ex- like ex- more expensive, higher pedigree free agents around them, I think they would have been in a better spot. They didn't have to sign all the stars like San Diego. They didn't have to sign everyone in the world like the Mets like similar like to what these Rangers the Rangers have done they've filled out the holes where they didn't really have prospects like middle infield and then all the other places where they've had prospects they've gotten significant production from which again is rare and do I trust the Mariners to do that offensively no I think clearly they're good at developing pitching and I've talked about this but also very clearly they they are not great at developing hit, hitting at a significant level I mean they've done great work with Cal Julio's generational clearly Kelnick has vastly improved his offense production this year but then you look at guys who immediately come into the team and take a step back 
why why is that a thing it's it goes back to like they their big splash for agent signings of the 2000s were adrian beltran and richie sexton and if you look at their career trajectories if you just showed me a graph of like their career war their career ops plus their offensive output I'd be able to guess where they went to the Mariners. It's where the lowest, it's where they, they peaked and then they went to the Mariners and then they dipped. That's just what happens. It's just, it's a Sean Figgins thing, you know? It's what we've seen, what happened to Jesse Winker, what's happening to Colton Long. On a minor level, what's happening to Tay Oscar. He's still been fine, but not as much as what we expected. It's just tough. It's just tough. It's tough to watch the Rangers be winning like this. But it's pretty miraculous what they're doing. And I really am bitter about Semyon. Like, again, I can't just say blanket statement. The Mariners should throw all the money at these big free agents and they will always work out. Obviously, that's not true. But Semyon specifically, I'm very mad about. Because although I didn't have a podcast, this podcast, back when he was a free agent. But if I did, I would have been so annoying. And this season, I would have been pulling receipts and my friends who are listening right now can attest to how often i said the phrase quote future mariner marcus samian during the 2021 off season and just season the season in general for a whole year leading up to him being a free agent i attempted to manifest him coming to the mariners future mariner marcus samian became a daily part of my vocabulary every time i saw him doing something good I've t- I tweeted it like once or twice for my main Twitter account. Should have tweeted it more. And and the Mariners didn't end up signing him. And it's looked like he's been amazing. He's been awesome for the Rangers. And boy, he would really fill the second baseman hole on this team. Why it made it worse that they didn't sign him is because they replaced the second base with Adam Frazier. It's just, it just grinds my gears. <laughs> and it, that the, the, the Semyon one stings me. I'm bitter about that one. Seager, whatever. The shortstops this offseason, whatever. I'm just so bitter about Marcus Semyon because I was I tried to manifest him to the Mariners so, so much. And it didn't work out. And boy, it, wouldn't it be nice if he was on the team right now? That being said, the Mariners probably signed him and then he probably steadily declines and is not hitting this well like he is in Texas. I'm I, I feel like that would probably happen. That's just the Mariners. That's just Mariners baseball, baby. That's what we've been used to. But that's it. I'm done. I'm done talking about the Rangers. What else happened? Mike Ford got called up and has yet to revitalize the offense and the team. You know, it's only a matter of time before he starts raking and the offense comes alive. It really is. I started the hashtag hashtag year of Mike Ford. Uh, and then uh, spring training, I believe. And he's finally up at the big league level. And I'm just waiting to cash in on the hashtag. I've been nothing but optimistic about Mike Ford. And uh, all of my rational baseball thoughts, I'm throwing them out the window. Mike Ford will will be a positive offensive contributor from here on out. I guarantee it. Take that one to the bank. No, I'm just, I'm just sad. The front office has really just sapped all of the life from us fans to the point where we are begging, we were begging them to promote Mike Ford, of all people, to fill in the DH hole. Begging them to do it because of what they've left us to, to root for offensively and specifically in the DH hole. They've, they've brainwashed us into thinking that was going to work. 
And Mike Ford is really, he really was lighting AAA on fire, but again, he might just be a guy who does that. There's plenty of players who have who have hit really well at AAA and just don't quite stick at the major league level. Taylor Trammell, for that matter, with the Rainiers, his stats in AAA are fantastic and has never quite been able to put it together at the major league level. There's just a lot of guys who are like that. It's because it's really difficult. It's really hard to come up to the bigs and hit. And the, everyone always says it's like the jump from every minor league level is difficult, but the jump from AAA to the MLB, to MLB is the hardest by far. It's the biggest gap. And then I'll turn on my rational brain. I tweeted a little bit about this. I'll turn on a rational baseball brain for a second. You can't point to Mike Ford's 2019 stats as a basis for what he could be as a player because, one, that was 2019. The balls were juiced to the gills. I don't like, I tweeted Tommy Lestella hit 16 home runs and like 300 play appearances that year. You're going to trust that? No. So you shouldn't trust Mike Ford's stats, especially because he only played like 30 games. So it's a very small sample in and of itself. Uh, two, so another point to be made again, AAA, you can rake in AAA and not hit well at the major league level. I just said that. We, we've seen that happen all the time. So it's, And with Mike Ford, he's bounced from AAA to the majors so much at this point. He just seems like that type of guy. And I hope he proves me wrong and is amazing. And then my final point, is he plays in the Pacific Coast League in AAA. So, a couple things with that. One, Automated Strike Zone is currently in the Pacific Coast League, so walk rates are up across the board for hitters. And, well, I guess pitchers too. There's just a lot more walks because of the automated challenge system and the PCL that they're trying out. So that somewhat boosts offensive numbers on base percentage and whatnot. And then also, it's the Pacific Coast League where you play and three of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in the minors. And so that can kind of boost your stats a little bit too. And if you if you look at the teams that the Rainiers regularly play, so they play in Tacoma, that is similar to Seattle. It's not a very hitter-friendly ballpark. But then they go and play the Salt Lake Bees. That is one of the most hitter-friendly ballparks in the, in the league. The Reno Aces is a pretty hitter-friendly they play the Las Vegas uh, Aviators. That is the most hitter-friendly ballpark in the league. They, In their division, they play three teams very regularly in very, very run-heavy environments, which can really inflate stats. It's a part of the reason why it's very tough for the Angels to judge hitting numbers in AAA. Like Joe Adele is another guy in this category at this point where might just rake in AAA one you know he might just be a good AAA hitter across the board but he plays in Salt Lake crazy elevation in Salt Lake and he kills the ball down there and then he comes up with the Angels and he does nothing it's a similar situation I just I the marriage front office has made us be super optimistic about calling up Mike Ford and as that doesn't tell you how poor they've built this offense I don't know what does that's just so brutal uh, but that that's another thing that happens this week. Mike Ford with the team. Um, what else? What else has happened? I mean, it's June, and so now, like I said, it's starting. The, the trade talks will start. I, in the next few weeks, I will probably start talking more about trade targets after it becomes more clear, like what teams might be selling, what teams might be buying, standing firm, whatever. Uh, I'll probably do a whole trade 
talk episode. Uh, maybe start of July. I don't know. We'll see if there's any trades in June. There might be. Get ahead of the, the big rush, big gold rush maybe. I don't know. There's a couple teams that we don't really know are selling or buying yet, and it will be fleshed out in the next few weeks. But like the White Sox, I talked about this a few weeks ago. If the White Sox decide to sell, depends on to what degree they want to sell, but Eloy is a name I floated out there uh, for already for the Mariners to trade for to fill in at DH. It would, And other teams would be in on this. Like that, This is the problem. In terms of the hitter market, at this point, again, it still depends on what teams are selling, but there's not a lot of amazing hitters on the market that are going to move this season. And so the few good hitters that will move, it'll take a decent package because other teams will probably need this. Not as much as they need pitching, but the Mariners should be in on any and all offensive guys that can fill DH, back up first base, another outfielder maybe because A.J. Pollock's been unsurprisingly bad. Uh, so Eloy. Eloy's made to be a DH. He came up as a really good hitter, awful in the field, perfect DH. It would, he's, uh, he's still a good hitter, and part of it would make him pretty expensive and maybe the most expensive hitter at the deadline is he has team control. He has four more years of team control, I think, which includes two club options. So that would make him particularly expensive. Teams value team control very highly. Like, that can really sway... Uh, a package because teams love, love, love team controlled contracts. And it's not that expensive for Eloy. Uh, they won't, I mean, the Mayors won't look for a pitcher. Like, I guess it depends on the Marco injury, but I doubt it. Like, if Marco is really out for a while, maybe they try to tack on like a depth AAA starter in a trade for a hitter. Like, I don't know. Uh, if they can just get a cheaper depth AAA guy, maybe they will. And I'm not, and if, if anyone's going to make a lot of trades, little trades in the next two months, it'll be Jerry DePoto. Uh, the White Sox, I guess they could trade Giolito. I don't think the Mariners would really be in on him. Maybe they would. I don't know. Probably not. Like, But the White Sox, the bullpen is where their value lies in terms of a seller, I think, unless they completely blow it up and sell their whole young offensive core, which I don't know if they'll do. Because uh, their bullpen, they have a good amount of pieces in there that are actually good pitchers that they'll, they could get some good, uh, good players for in return. But every team is always looking to up, upgrade their bullpen in at the deadline. Like every team always could stand to upgrade their bullpen. So the run on their bullpen would be swift and a lot of teams would be in on it. I don't think the Mariners will be buyers for their pitching for their bullpen specifically. I think they're fine. I think they, would be dumb to prioritize bullpen, and they definitely won't. Um, I don't think they'll be trading for any bullpen pieces. So that would be kind of weird. Uh, the pitching market is going to be hot. So any pitcher you want is going to be really expensive, probably more expensive than the hitters, just because at the moment, like I said, not a lot of amazing hitters available, but every contending team needs starting pitching depth. Every contending team like I said earlier, they need the depth because that even teams who might not be the least depthy, I'll say, which isn't a word, they still would probably want it. Like we're seeing right now, it 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 can get thin real quick. It can get thin really quick. It's just so valuable in today's game uh, to have starting pitching depth if you want to 
make a deep run in the playoffs or even just get enough wins on the regular season to win your division or make the playoffs. Pitching depth is key. It's key. So any trade for a starting pitcher, like, I don't know, like Stroman might be available maybe, but I I don't think so. I think he likes Chicago. I don't think he'll leave. Like, Giolito? I don't, I don't know. Like the Astros, they might have to find out a way to get another starting pitcher. They could really use it. The Rangers will probably be one of the teams that would go try to get any of the White Sox bullpen pieces. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that could change between now and the deadline. Like off the top of my head, I didn't prepare for this. I'm just off the top of my head, like Tyler O'Neill maybe might be available from the Cardinals at the deadline. Maybe the Reds infield potentially. Like, India has been floated around in trade talks, but I don't know if I would even trade them if I were him. It would probably take a really good offer to get him out of that team. But maybe they want to unload him. The M's would absolutely be on the short list of teams interested to get India. It's it's an interesting situation with the Reds, and maybe they just stand firm and wait and see what happens. And I am in the camp that they should just do that because they're not going to win right now and all of their young infielders are hitting really well and i would just keep them you can fit them all in if you want i don't i wouldn't rush to trade any of them that being said if they get an amazing offer for india maybe they take it but it's it's a unique situation with them because all their young dudes are delivering in a major way like Spencer Steer's been good. Matt McClain's looked like a great shortstop. India's having a better season than he was last year. Like Ellie De La Cruz. Oh boy. I could not be higher on Ellie De La Cruz. I think he's going to be a star. Uh, he's destroying AAA along with uh, Encarnacion Strand down there in AAA as well. Also hitting really well. And then they have Joey Votto coming back soon too. So I don't know what they do there. Personally, I would probably play Steer at first and bench Votto at this point in his career, but I don't know if they really want to do that. Because you can keep India at second base. Matt McClain can also play second base, but he's looked great at shortstop. Like, maybe LA can play third, and then Carnacion Strand can DH or or vice versa. They have options. They have a lot of options. Uh, Other teams, the Phillies could sell, which is crazy to say, but they could be, like, minor sellers at the deadline. I have to look at their contract situations to see what guys they might want to unload, but off the top, Aaron Nola, I know he's an expiring deal. He might get dealt. That Aaron Nola to the Astros low-key could be on the low. That could happen. He could be out of there. If if contract talks aren't going great by the deadline, they they would have to trade him or risk losing him for free. Um, Who else? The Pirates could trade Santana. That'd be, you know, trade him back to Seattle. Do it. Do it. The Mets could try to get off some of their veteran guys to make room for their young hitters who are like forcing their hand to give them playing time because those have been the guys to kind of help this offense limp back into above average as their young guys. So maybe they try to get off some veterans with bigger contracts like Mark Canna. Vogelback has been pretty bad, but they can move him to make room for Beatty. Lots of dominoes could fall in the next month or two. And I think we'll get a clear view of like who's buying and selling at the start of July, probably, or even in the next few weeks. The real question is, and I'm 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 wrapping up the show here, but the real question: When are the Mariners going to hit the 14-game win streak button? I'm waiting for it. They got to do it at some point if they want to 
contend. I don't know. There's a good team in here. And I don't think the team right now is bad. I think they're fine. I think the team is is fine, and they're a 500 team-ish right now. Uh, on paper, that is. On paper, I also just think the team is better than their current output. Uh, I mean, there are big flaws still, but I just feel like they're not getting the best versions of, of anyone at the plate right now, except like maybe Kelnick. Like, JP has been great. Ty and Julio have both looked pretty good after their slumps. But still, every game just feels like they're playing below where they could be playing. And I don't know, that deck of fall on the coaching staff, development team, analysis in the front office, or just like the players themselves are just not heading well or declining for whatever reason. It's just interesting. It's weird to watch. And one, th- one stat I'll leave you on is strikeouts. They've been striking out so much. And right now, they have three, four guys in the top 10 in the league in strikeouts right now. Teoscar leads the league in strikeouts with 80, and this might change after they update uh, update baseball reference for tomorrow. But Teoscar is right now first in strikeouts. Eugenio is seventh overall. Julio is ninth. Jared is, uh, Jared Kelnick is 10th in strikeouts. And if you look at strikeout rate, like K percentage, Teoscar's 5th, Jared is 7th, Eugenio's 23rd, Julio's 29th. So when you look at overall Ks, it's slightly inflated, partially just because they've played a lot, but like it's still three guys in the top, or four guys in the top 10 of overall strikeouts and top 30 of K rate. So it's just a lot of strikeouts in the offense. And I feel like that falls on the coaching staff. I think they got to control the zone better, if I do it, dare I say it. <laughs> um, just just brutal. But that's what I'll leave you with. The Mariners this week, they they lick their wounds. They go down to Southern California. The Padres and the Angels coming up this week. I, for those of you who don't know, and most of you do know, I live in Southern California. I will be going to the San Diego Padres game on Tuesday. And one of my, my buddies seems like he might hook it up and I might be able to go on the field for batting practice, which would be amazing to see. And I'll probably tweet videos if I end up doing that of BP. And then the angels, I'll probably see, I'll probably see two of three of the angels games down here too. So I will, I'll have a lot to report on next week from a live viewing perspective, but looking forward to that. Hopefully they can start playing some better ball. Uh, The Padres are playing better baseball right now. And the angels are still kind of where they've been all year. But that's it. That's it for this podcast. Thanks for listening this far. Appreciate it. I'll catch you next week. Uh, But, of course, have a good rest of your week. And go Mariners.